Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to Platinum Pro Jia Chen Tao. JC won Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch with a modern blue-red Eldrazi deck. And since then, JC has gone on to compete in the 2016 World Championships, where he placed 7th. JC shares with us how to get better at magic, and what it's like facing off against all those scary elite pros. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jia Chen Tao. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, and today I am joined here with JC Tao. JC, how are you? Good, how are you, Sam? Thank you so much for having me over. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. And we are sitting here on JC's kitchen table right now. <laughs> That's right. We're here in the beautiful Redmond, Washington. And uh, JC, what have you been up to recently? Well, we just finished the World Championships, and now we're preparing for the upcoming Pro Tour, Kaladesh. Yes, and, I, and I'm really, really excited because there's a lot of new mechanics, there's a lot of new things coming out. What are some of your hopes and aspirations for Pro Tour Kaladesh? Well, we have a rather large team now, East West Bowl, and I'm hoping that almost everyone on the team will do well, and the people who are trying to stay on will you know, hit silver and try to you know, hit gold, basically stay on the Pro Tour for the entire year. Yes, and there is a lot to talk about for that. And so I just wanted to jump right to the beginning. JC, when did you start playing Magic? I started playing a long time ago, I think back in middle school. Um, this was would have been around 5th edition, maybe 6th edition. Uh-huh. There was a large rule change, which uh, sort of threw us off for a bit. And uh, I quit when Urza Saga block came out. Uh-huh. Uh, but couldn't really stay away, so I got back into it by... By the time college rolled around, so that was Onslaught, and then I have been playing since. Ah, okay, so I picked up the game around Tempest, Exodus, and Weatherlight, and Urza Saga block, mm -hmm. and I stopped right before Mirrodin, okay. and then picked it up again, Rise of the Eldrazi. So okay. I had a long in-between. <laughs> right, right. Well, Mirrodin was... Uh, by all accounts, not so healthy for magic. So I think you got out just in time. <laughs> okay. And, and then I'm not as highly skilled of a player as you are, you know, definitely. But uh, I, so I may not sometimes know the differences about why it wasn't healthy, but I did hear that kind of some people in the community liked it or didn't like it. JC, what are some of your favorite sets? Well, I am primarily a limited player. Uh, so all of my... All my evaluations and preferences have sort of a leaning towards uh, that aspect of things. So my favorite sets are all um, pretty much limited formats. So Champion of Kamigawa was really high on my list, even though I know a lot of people don't like it. Meriden was another good one. It's not good for. It wasn't very healthy for standard, but it was a very fun, very high-powered limited set. All of the Masters editions, Modern Master, Eternal Masters, have been great to draft and to play with. Um, recently, Cons of Tarkir has also been an excellent set. Uh-huh. Good to draft. Mm -hmm. Was it because of the, the set mechanics of the Color Wedge? Is both the set mechanics and the fact that they brought Morph uh, back into the formula. That was huge. You could 
you had a lot more plays on turn three, and no no one's going to get overrun by another player's fast start because every if you want to, you can always have access to a bear, gray ogre. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the morph ability definitely. Uh, people were really excited to have it come up, but it was like a guessing game, and eventually it was people- a little bit of a guessing game. I mean, I think Wizards did a lot better job this ter- this time around with morph in that the common morphs were all easily played around if you knew what to do. It wasn't like anything like back in Onslaught where there were common morph cards where you just could not play around at all. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. And JC, when did you decide to play competitively? Probably since I came back in college. You know, I've always been a pretty competitive person at heart. Uh, for a while, I used that energy in computer games. But since I started playing Magic, I also wanted to know how good I was and how I can improve. And the best way to do that is by pushing myself into higher, higher level competitions. So I've been going to the PTQs back when they still held them uh, locally. And also I started playing on Magic Online where they also held tournaments every month or so. JC, was there something that you specifically did or a particular kind of preparation that you felt that you had a noticeable level up moment? There are a lot of things I try to work work on. I know... Uh, sometimes I play too fast, so forcing myself to slow down and really think about all my plays had a, probably one of the biggest impacts on my gameplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to be a very fast player. I used to play multiple queues on Lodo at the same time, and that was, while fun, also built some uh, not-so-good habits. You know, just going on autopilot, having default heuristics, which usually are good, but sometimes are not. So forcing myself to slow down really leveled up my play. Yes, and in Season 1, Episode 3, my interview with Adam Yurchek, we also talked about heuristics. Could you explain what heuristics is for the listeners? Uh, Yeah, so in Magic, there are common uh, strategies or tactics that are almost always going to be good. And you try to use your brain on other issues or other puzzles and let and just rely on those heuristics to guide your normal actions. For example, it's almost always better to attack first and then cast your spells, right? Then your opponent doesn't know what you might do afterwards. It's almost always better to offer to attack than block because you have the you have open mana and they don't. So those are the heuristics that comes up pretty often. And so heuristics are just kind of like a common set of guidelines, things that we live by that can be... Mental shortcuts. Right, that can be mental shortcuts without us having to reinvent the wheel and think about them every turn, every phase, every match, and every round. Exactly. Do you find that certain heuristics change set to set? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, In certain formats, you want to be on the draw. It's very rare, but... A commonly held belief is that you always want to be play on the play, and that's not true in certain formats, especially when it comes down to the grindier sealed formats as opposed to draft. That's really interesting. Travis Wu even talked about how when he qualified for the Pro Tour at GP Oakland many years ago, he was on the draw, mm-hmm. and that gave him a significant advantage. Yes, I believe he qualified in the limited format of M14, uh, which is one of the most uh, slowest and one-for-one, for for lack of a better term, formats there is. You definitely wanted to be on the draw in that format. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. JC, tell me about the first time that you qualified for a Pro Tour. Which one was it? This was Pro Tour Fate Reforged in Mm -hmm. DC two years ago. Uh Uh-huh. And what was the qualification process like for you? Um, 
Curious. Let me see if I can remember <laughs> this. Uh, I think I qualify through a mo- uh, Magic Online PTQ, and uh, this was a this was back when they still had one tournament with one slot to fill in. It's not the PPTQs that we have today. It was a probably nine rounder with a cut to top eight and then a draft. So pretty much spent all day in front of the computer. Uh huh. Yeah, I had a couple of close calls before that, but I was very excited because my friend had also qualified for the same pro tour, and that was also his first qualification. So we're we knew we we're going to test together and just enjoy our first shot. That's very cool. Who is your friend? Uh, he's Eugene. He's um he used to be a Seattle player, but has moved down to LA since, and we sort of push each other along, even though we're not uh, living in the same city t- anymore. He's done pretty well in Magic as well. He won a couple, uh, won a Grand Prix, and uh, also we play as a team for all of our team limited events. Very cool. What was it like that first Pro Tour? It was pretty eye opening. I wasn't sure what to expect first of all, but once I sat down, it was in some ways very similar to a normal ma- uh, tournament of Magic. In some ways, people were actually nicer to you. They don't have anything to prove. It's not like the cutthroat stages of the last few rounds of a PT, local PTQ. Everyone who was there was just happy and to be there and playing Magic at the highest levels. That's really interesting. I've always wondered what it would be like to actually be there, but that's really, really interesting insight. How did you do at that PT? I went very averagely. <laughs> I, uh, I went 3-3 in draft and 5-5 in constructed. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't have a lot of like, high expectations, uh, so going uh, even was actually what I expected. Yeah, so you went even in that Pro Tour. Did you play against any uh, elite players? I remember playing against Kai Buda yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in the second round of draft on the, in day one. Mm-hmm. I was pretty intimidated. We had some close games, which I narrowly escaped as a winner. But afterwards, I heard that he was... He felt deathly sick during the week before, so I felt really bad for him. I don't think he had a very good time. Uh huh. <laughs> um, I don't recall playing anyone else at that tournament, uh, but my memory is not very good. So. Mm-hmm. so there was some time that passed between Pro Tour Fate Reforged and Pro Tour Oath of the Gate Watch. What were some things that you did to improve yourself as a Magic player? I definitely try to build up a better network of similarly minded players, try to surround myself with other players who also want to succeed in Magic and have the same goals. I was lucky enough to connect through Eugene, another group of players down in um, California, and we teamed up together for the Pro Tour before Oath, uh, Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after that, I became good friends with several of them, which led to us testing together. When did you join Team East West Bowl? Uh, this was officially, I think, Oath of the Gatewatch. Mm-hmm. Although mo- a lot of the people who were on the team had already tested together for the Pro Tours prior. I was testing with a number of them in battle for um, Zendikar. And I think they also tested together for the Magic Origins PT as well. Did they approach you or did you just find them through mutual friends and it just clicked? Uh, Eugene recommended that I join the team and our personalities sort of matched well enough to stay on. But I think East West Bowl was this very casual group of friends and we we mostly came together because we enjoyed each other's company. There wasn't 
you know, player criteria or how good you have to be to be part of the team back then. So it was pretty easy to work together with them. Who is the captain of Team East West Bowl? Uh, the person who got all started was uh, Alex Modulton. There were uh, several other people who were pretty key in organizing everyone. And, uh, you know, sometimes with so many Magic players, it's like herding cats, mm-hmm. trying to get them to do anything together. So uh, I would say Mark Jacobson on the West Coast also did a lot in terms of organizing the team. Did you find that your skills have improved since joining Team East West? Um, yes, mostly my constructed skills. Uh-huh. <laughs> Prior to qualifying for the Pro Tours, I have never played a single match of constructed. Um, really? Yeah, so I sort of just dove into the ocean, to, so to speak. In my first Pro Tour, I played, it was modern, and at least I won the PTQ pretty early in the season, so I gave myself three months to sort of learn the format. And I recruit for battle, which was standard. So I had to pick up standard as well. And I think my teammates have really helped me out a lot in getting me to learn the difference between standard and limited and how to approach it uh, with the right mindset. What do you do to practice? You said that you had to switch gears from limited to constructed. Do you just jam a ton of games online? Yeah, that's, that's the best way for me to learn. Just mm-hmm actually playing games. So I played a lot on Magic Online and we also did a lot of simulated games um, on other Magic applications as well. I don't see you really in the local stores very much or if ever, do you ever go into the local stores? I try to. Uh, Sometimes we're just out traveling for Magic tournaments and other times I'm just trying to give myself a week off. But I try to go to the east side stores Mm -hmm. as much as I can because Mm -hmm. I do enjoy uh, the interaction uh, with uh, local players, even if I don't necessarily play sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So you just were online testing with your team and just playing a ton of Constructed. How many games of Constructed do you think you played in preparation? Uh, well, we play before every before each PT, we probably spend a good two or three hours every night either playing games ourselves or watching our teammates play. For also the gate watch, I had spent at least four or five hours each every night in the week leading up to the Pro Tour, just refining our deck, making sure we didn't miss anything, looking for sideboard cards, so on. Wow, fascinating. So you qualified for Pro Tour Oath of the Gate watch. You get to Pro Tour Oath of the Gate watch. What's going through your head after all this preparation with your team? Well, uh, to be honest, we weren't sure how good our deck was. Uh, the team had just formed up. We didn't know each other uh, very well. And in the end, only four people on the team chose to play the deck. So that was not, uh, it's not a big sign of reassurance for us. I was mostly hoping to uh, quit myself well enough in the limited portions. And, uh, and if I could go 5-5 again in Constructed, I would have been satisfied. Mm-hmm. And what was your record at Pro Tour Oath? Uh, I did manage to go 3-3 in limited. Okay. Uh, I was hoping for better, but, you know. And uh, I went 9-1 and one in the Swiss portions. Wow. That, so that, that really made a big difference. Oh, yeah. I can't remember. What seed were you going into the top eight? I squeezed in at the seventh seed, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a weird tournament where 
X, I was X4 and I actually got in because there were multiple players playing out the last round. Um, so normally at a large size pro, uh, pro tour, you have to be sort of X3 or X3-1 to draw into the top top eight, but there are multiple eliminations in that final round, which allowed me to sort of squeak in. What were your thoughts and feelings as they were announcing top eight and you were in the top eight? Um... <laughs> I was hoping for the best. I, I knew my tiebreakers were good. And based on the results of the last round, I thought I was going to get in. But at the same time, coming in with absolutely no expectations also made me very uh, calm. You know, if I missed it, not a big deal. I still did quite well. I was pretty, I, I was happy, but I was not, uh, I was, uh, I don't think I showed all of that on camera. Okay. So you were pretty happy, but you were quite self-contained mm -hmm. for what lies ahead in the single elimination rounds. Yeah. So now you're sitting there, it's the quarters mm -hmm. and who's your quarters opponent again? It was Shuhei. Okay. So... <laughs> Shuhei is really good. Oh, he's a master. Yeah, we're, and we're talking about Shuhei Nakamura here. Very elite top Japanese player. What was going through your head sitting across the tables during the quarterfinals? Uh, it was not good. I mean, in theory, I knew we knew that our deck was favored in this matchup. However, I played Shuhei in the last round of Swiss the day before, and he gave me my first loss. In the constructed portion, your only so, loss, in my the only loss. So I was not, I was not happy to have the rematch. Okay, yeah, but uh, but he was very kind, and we played some very good games of Magic. Could you say that you attribute your win in the quarterfinals against Shuhei Nakamura because you lost to him earlier, and you were able to kind of gauge him as a player a little bit? Uh, that's that was certainly a factor. We actually didn't play any practice games after the Saturday night was over. So having that, playing that matchup out in the Swiss definitely helped in knowing what the key cards were in the matchup. Otherwise, all we had was uh, just theorizing. Got it. And so JC, you defeat him. Mm -hmm. You move on to the semifinals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then what was your, what were you thinking after that step? Uh, was, uh, it was a sigh of relief. You know, I, I finished the round and we actually had two other teammates in the top eight of the Pro Tour. And so I went immediately to watch and cheer for my teammates. And who was your opponent in the semis? That was LSV. Okay. And you defeat LSV. LSV in Luis Scott Vargas fashion didn't get super lucky, quote unquote. <laughs> no, no, I have to say I got a lot luckier than he did uh -huh. in the semis. And what was that feeling like defeating LSV? Um, that was my first time playing with him. He was also also a very skilled opponent, and despite what you might uh, read or see from him in his media outlets, he was a very serious uh, opponent when he sat down in the top eight table. So that was I was pretty nervous. Uh huh. But after coming out victoriously, I had a lot more faith in my deck because the Shuhei and LSV were on the same team and they were playing the same deck. So after defeating both of them. I was a lot more confident in my deck's matchup. Okay, so you defeat Shuhei Nakamura. You're like, okay, he won the first one. I won the second one when it matters. And then you get paired up against LSV. He's playing the same deck, basically Shuhei version two. And yep. you're like, oh my goodness. But you defeat LSV. So now you're like a big sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. Now you're going into the finals. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking at that point? Uh, I don't think I was thinking anything ahead. Just... 
happy that I won the last round, trying to mentally prepare myself for the next round. And you're just in the moment. Yeah. And you were saying to yourself, JC, I have to perform here. <laughs> I have to perform. Yeah, just you know, telling myself to not to screw up, make any obvious mistakes, play good magic. So JC, now you're heading into the finals. You sit down across from you as Ivan Flock, playing the same 75-74 as Shuhei and LSV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now what's going through your head? Um, I was still pretty calm, but at that point I was feeling pretty good about the matchup. You know, mm-hmm. after playing the same deck four or five times over the course of the tournament, I was reasonably certain that my deck was favored in the matchup. So despite being on the draw in game one, I was still expecting to come out ahead. Yeah. So you were on the draw because you were a lower seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were at a slight disadvantage. Mm-hmm. I do remember getting quite lucky with Gemstone Cavern. Okay. The, throughout the entire top eight. Okay. That card basically puts you back on the plate despite being on the draw. <laughs> okay. And uh, you win. I mean, you win, right? That's, that's how history went down. You won. Mm-hmm. What were you feeling with the hand extended? What were you feeling at that point? Uh, just a big sigh of relief. I, I was so new to Magic, professional Magic at that point, I still had no idea what winning a Pro Tour meant. It, I knew it was a big deal. I just didn't know all the tangible benefits that would come along with it. I was just very happy to have played reasonably good Magic over the weekend. Wow, that's great. <laughs> and uh, I remember watching coverage there, and I think everyone in Seattle was cheering you on, you know, because <laughs> you're like the local guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that was really, really exciting. And so, yeah, you win. And I- I'm looking over your shoulder right now. I see the trophy sitting on your mantle over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't put it away yet. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't put it away yet. Um, you, could, you could put candies in it, or for parties, you could drink champagne exactly. out of it. Exactly. <laughs> And so you were talking, JC, about what it means to actually win a pro tour. You get platinum, you mm-hmm. become the champion. What else do you get? What other benefits are there? Um, the main ones are becoming platinum, which means you're qualified for all of the pro tours in the current year as well as the next. You also are invited to the world championships that happens at the end of the, after the end of the season. Yeah. And so after that, I ran into you at Grand Prix Portland over the summer. And you were doing great. You were undefeated day one. I was trying out my own take on a constructed deck and I was running pretty hot in day one. I was pretty happy that my working constructed is sort of paying off. A year or two ago, I would have never expected myself to do well in a constructed magic tournament. So that was a big change. And you were in a lot of feature matches and even throughout day two, you were in the top tables quite often. <laughs> yeah, I um, I actually asked him not to feature me so much um, because there were a lot of other interesting decks. <laughs> you were actually telling them, please don't feature me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, my deck was not the most exciting deck to watch. You know, you're just playing Planeswalker. I, for the record, I was playing um, a green black control deck that, that was splashing for white planeswalkers so a lot of the games just came was very slow and grindy a lot you're accruing small incremental advantages through planeswalker activations games took forever i remember playing against band company in one match where we spent the game one took almost 40 minutes and wow. i won with two liliana emblems wow so they were they were slow and perhaps not the best for coverage matches i don't know <laughs> I was uh, playing in a last chance qualifier at GP Portland. I, I got to the finals. I didn't win. I wish I got my buys, but I didn't. 
I was playing um, Black White Control, and、mm-hmm. I had four emblems out at one time. I had two、oh, Liliana、wow. of the Last Hope emblems, so I was getting mega zombies. Right. I had a Gideon emblem, so they were other. All the zombies were three threes. I had also an Omnixilis emblem on my opponent. Wow. <laughs> so I had four emblems out. Yeah. <laughs> and I did win that.、Match. Yeah, <laughs> would expect you to. <laughs> So you are finding yourself now becoming a constructed player, and you're playing in GPs, and that's where I saw you at GP Portland. And during that time, and you know, quite recently, you were、uh, preparing for Worlds. And world preparation, I would guess, is very different than a pro tour preparation. It is.、Um, for one thing, you don't have a large team working together with the same goals. You know, I was fortunate in that I had a lot of、uh, very good friends who were able to offer me help. But at the same time, couldn't expect everyone to put in the same number of hours as you because they only one person can go to that tournament. Another big difference is the multi-formatness of the worlds. There are three different formats to master, and it is pretty hard to become good at all three. You, know, you have to be a very dedicated player、mm-hmm. to do that. How did you prepare for worlds? Because of the Swiss rounds, six there were fourteen rounds in Swiss, and there were six. Six of which were limited: Eldritch Moon,、uh, Shadows of Wingless Rod Draft. Four was standard, and four was modern. I really put a lot of、uh, my effort into limited.、Mm-hmm. Not only were there more rounds in it, I also felt like that was a format where I had the most potential for improvement、mm-hmm. and the most potential for gaining an edge over my opponent. So I would say I spent eighty percent of my time drafting and getting feedback on my. Drafts, and then I spent probably the other twenty percent on modern and standard. That's、yeah. pretty skewed. And then how many draft pods was that? That was one draft pod. That was one draft pod on Friday. Or sorry, excuse me, one draft pod on Thursday and one draft pod on Friday. Ah, so okay, so it'll be three rounds, three rounds. Right. Oh, so they broke it up that way. Okay, very interesting. How did you feel going into the limited portion of Worlds? Uh, I can I could definitely tell that I was getting better. I was probably playing some of my best limited games prior up leading up to the event, but I was still not sure just because of the caliber of competitors at that、uh, at that tournament. You know, it's just hall famers and platinum players left and right. What advice would you give to players that are trying to improve at limited? And we can break it down to draft or sealed. The biggest advice I have for that is actually the same for constructed. Just having. Other players whose opinions you respect watch you play.、Mm-hmm. You know, even if、um, it's actually better if they have different opinions, because usually one of you will be right. Ma- magic is fairly straightforward in that if there is a different differing opinion, usually one of them is better. So it's best to discuss a possible place and figure out which one is the best play. And if you're only playing by yourself, it's hard to get that、um, second opinion in. Yeah. And the second advice is just to play a lot. The second advice is just to play a lot. <laughs> okay. And for standard and modern, what were your approaches? They're both constructed formats, but they're quite different. Yeah. So modern was fairly established、uh, at the time of the worlds. There were new cards coming in from Eldritch Moon, but we've had a couple of modern tournaments、uh, by then, so everyone knew the existing decks. What I wanted to do was figure out the best decks and bring a deck that can either beat those decks or failing that, at least not lose to them. You know, just have a slight edge.、Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, as it turned out, most a lot of the other players also thought the same thing. You know, that's why there were, I think, almost half the field was abs and, and junt. Uh, they just wanted a deck that can go hopefully 50, uh, 55-45 against the rest of the field. What did you play for the modern portion of Worlds? I play black-white tokens. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember that now. Yeah. Um, and what did you play for standard? I played green-black delirium. Ah. That was, uh, like I said, I didn't spend that much time preparing for either modern or standard. And I just played a deck that I was pretty familiar with, having played a similar deck in both the Pro Tour and in the Grand Prix. How was Worlds for you? Sitting down, you said, you know, you said earlier, JC, to your left, to your right, they're all Hall of Famers, they're all Platinum Pros. What is that like? Also surprisingly casual. Most of the players actually knew each other um, and where they were all very fun, friendly opponents. Um, I think everyone made a very good effort to show up with their best manners and uh, just make the event fun for everyone else. Who are some of your favorite players to play against? Well, there's a lot. For the, um, but I, oh, I've always enjoyed playing against Reed Duke. Uh-huh. He's a true gentleman in magic. I enjoy playing with him and enjoy watching his games. LSV was also great. I got to play him again at Worlds, and this time he was a little bit more laid back. <laughs> I don't know if you saw his uh, stint with the sunglasses. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so is there a time that you sit down across the table from someone like LSV or someone like Reed Duke, and they make a play, and you just are like, whoa, that was a good play? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All the time. Mm-hmm. No matter how many games you've played of Magic, you probably have not seen every single interaction or have thought about every single possible uh, outcome. So there's, I'm constantly uh, surprised by some of the plays my opponent makes. And hopefully, you know, it happens once but doesn't happen again. Do you think it takes a bit of creativity or risk to go out on a limb and try a play that isn't particularly conventional? It's certainly a risk. When you're making unconventional play, those plays are unconventional for a reason. Generally, I would not make a risky play unless I felt like I was behind. The further ahead you are in, in Magic, the more you want to resort to safe plays. The further behind you are, the more you want to make a play that could uh, swing the game entirely in your favor if it works. Got it. Interesting, interesting. JC, I wanted to ask you about what your actionable advice for players trying to improve at Magic, trying to get on the Pro Tour. Could you think of five very specific things you could tell players to do, follow, repeat that would get them a really significant result in their skills? Okay, sure. So play regularly. I would say if you want to get better, you probably should be practicing almost every day. doesn't have to be a lot, but you should probably play some number of Magic games every couple of days. Mm-hmm. You should try to record your games if you're playing online or have friends watch your game to discuss your plays after the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, along the same veins, you should note your mistakes after each match because it's really hard to play a game of Magic without making a single mistake. And even the good players will uh, realize the errors they made, perhaps more so than the less skilled players. You want to be made very aware of your mistakes and figure out why you're making them and hopefully prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. This one really applies to only constructed play, but you should force yourself to play different decks. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of players uh, get into a mindset where they're either a control player or aggro player. Try to embrace different decks. Not only will you 
become better as a Magic player as a whole, you also know the weaknesses of those decks, even if you don't end up playing them. You will know that what those decks are soft to, so if you play against them, you'll have a better, more of an edge. Some some of the things I've said, uh, I think uh, other players have already uh, uh, already said in more succinct words. But another one that I feel is very important is to treat your games, especially at the tournament level, one game or one match at a time. Try not to think about, you know, oh, I'm X and O or I'm X and 3. Just play your best magic. So a lot of people have said this, but I think it's important enough to, uh, for me to also chime in. JC, I think that's all very good because we want to be able to provide advice to players that's very actionable so that they can take them and repeat them and do them and then see incremental improvements yeah. in their play. Yeah, a lot of the things I said are things you actually need to be doing rather than thinking about. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can get, learn a lot from Magic just by theorizing or watching coverage or watching someone's stream. But a lot of times when you're watching, you're just following along. You're not taking action in what you're doing. Is You only get better. I think you get better in Magic when you're actually actively thinking about how to play a game of Magic rather than just observing. Yeah, absolutely. And also as a Magic player, and now you are a newly christened pro, <laughs> you know, as Magic players, we are also ambassadors to the game. JC, what would you say to new Magic players or players just starting off? What advice could you give to them? I would say that Magic means something different to everyone. And you don't have to be a professional player to derive pleasure from playing Magic. Although if you are, then uh, you know all the more power to you. But you can take Magic as seriously or lightly as you want. There's no pressure. That's very good because I think that a lot of players, when they sit down at the table, doesn't matter what event it is, there's an expectation to win. And winning is a very specific outcome that doesn't happen very often to a lot of us, right? Mm -hmm. I think your words are very wise because we have to sit down and play for the sake of playing. Now, obviously, I'm, I identify myself as a competitive player and I always sit down to try to win. But at the same time, I, I will recognize that there are others who play Magic for different needs. And you try to enjoy Magic for your own pleasure, but also respect that of other players. The thing that I think about most uh, when it comes to advice or improvement is that I find that magic is a very deep game. So one thing that I notice is that there's always something to be discovered in the game. When I talk to players that are newer players than I or has less skill, even when I'm talking to them about the game in a fundamental level for them, that's a stretch, I still discover something. And if I'm talking to a player that's way better than me, again, I still discover something. But I think that I'm going into the situation with a context that there is something to be discovered. So I have my eyes wide open Mm -hmm. and I have my ears out and I have my antennas out. And so I'm like expecting that there's something to be learned. So I'm always in that learn mindset. Yeah, and I think that's great. There's so much to magic that, like I said, even the best players are still either learning new tricks or or sometimes making errors to be learned from. That's part of the joy of playing magic, to the joy of discovery. Yeah, wonderful. And JC, what's new? What's upcoming for you? Well, uh, I am currently still platinum, uh, <laughs> so I will try to do my best to to ease myself into this role. And I'm still catching up with constructed. There's still so much that I have to learn. But hopefully I will do well enough this year to be able to uh, continue playing Magic recreationally for the remaining year as well as next. Pretty modest goals. Play good Magic. Try to get better. Very cool. Very cool. JC, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Oh, yeah. Sure. 
Okay, JC, question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? It's so hard to decide. I will say red is a color of aggression, and I think you learn a lot in magic just by being an aggressor. Very interesting. Okay, do you have a favorite uh, card, a red card? Uh, this started as a joke, but I always tell people Raging Goblin. Raging Goblin. Yeah, it's yes. a one red for a 1-1 one, one haste goblin. Yeah, it's pretty classic. Um, new players do not attack enough. Or any any of red's creatures that have uh, that is better served attacking than defending teaches them to that the value of pressuring your opponent, making them commit resources to stay alive rather than vice versa. I love Raging Goblin because one of my first red creatures was a Raging Goblin. And they were so (laughs) old. I think they were from like the old-fashioned portal cards Uh that it said unaffected by summoning sickness. Yes, yes. I love those. I remember that as well. Oh, I love those. And the artwork was great. So yeah, that's one of my favorites. Question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I have not given this any thoughts at all. I think I would try to change the parity between the player on the play and the player on the draw. I think, especially in Constructed, there is a significant advantage for being on the play, the first person to use, utilize your mana. Maybe perhaps give some sort of life or mana advantage, uh, one-time advantage for the player on the draw, perhaps. I'm not sure. That's really interesting. I haven't heard this one before. So, you know, even beyond the Vancouver Mulligan, which helps, you know, scrying and mulliganing. It has helped a lot, yeah. But also, how do you feel about the player being on the draw? They get to draw first. They get eight cards instead of seven. Yeah, but in uh, in Constructed, a lot of times you don't get to use all of those eight cards before you're dead, especially in the faster formats like Modern or... Uh, legacy sometimes. The extra card doesn't help you at all if you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. Okay, definitely something to ponder. I like the topic. I like the angle. I like that. JC, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Sturdy backpack. A sturdy backpack. Yeah. I think uh, players do not treat their possessions with enough care, nor uh, do they watch it enough times. There's always... Magic cards get either getting left behind or uh, sometimes um, taken maliciously, and backpack would help with that. A backpack would help. Okay, a backpack with some security on it, maybe. Perhaps. Okay. You know, alarm. So you just want everyone to have a really good bag to carry around our stuff in. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, do you have a particular brand of backpack? Is there like a particular bag <laughs> you have in mind that you want everyone to have? I do not. Okay. Okay. But I do recommend watching, watch, uh, holding onto your possessions and taking good care of them. Okay. Maybe one day when magic is like a huge game, it's as like golf, maybe, maybe two yeah. me or something will make a magic. Hopefully we'll get there. <laughs> I remember when I first started playing magic, I just took terrible care of my cards. They were all, you know, I had commons, uncommons, rares, but it doesn't matter. They're all, you know, unsleeved, bent, stepped down sometimes. So when I came back, it was pretty heartbreaking. Ah, okay, okay. Well, at least we're not carrying around our decks like in like a plastic grocery bag. (laughs) There's that. (laughs) That would be pretty bad. Okay, okay. All right, everyone gets a bag. Okay, JC wants everyone to get a bag. And question number four, JC, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I think Magic will continue to evolve to be a professional level uh, sport. I don't know that it will attract that many more people unless there are significant changes to the way coverage is done. But I think there are enough dedicated fans that it will continue to be an established game. 
Yeah, so you just see it growing into a bigger sport. Yes, continuously, steadily growing, but perhaps not going to catch up to the other esports out there. What do you think needs to change or improve in coverage for that gap to be closed? Honestly, I, I think Magic will probably have to be a fundamentally different game to to catch up to the way that say Hearthstone or、uh, League of Legends does their tournaments. Magic is a game where you are re- almost required to be deliberate in your place, and that by nature is going to turn off some of the excitement from watching, and that in turn is going to cost viewers and probably sponsorship money. And last, JC, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Any like where they can find you on social media, or anything you want them to do or think or consider? I'm not a big social media person, but I do. I guess this is the opportunity to to ask everyone to treat magic as a release in which everyone has should be respected in a space where everyone comes to enjoy themselves and to be treated with respect. JC, thank you so much for having me over. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here on Kitchen Table Magic. Thank you, Sam, so much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure, and it was also very fun. Great.、Uh, I also want to add that in order to succeed at Magic, you really want to surround yourself with players who are around the same skill level,、uh, who have similar goals, whether it's to do well at the local FNM or to break qualify for your first pro tour or to you know even go beyond that. But the more players you surround yourself with, who are Positive and can help each other out. The better you will become. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with JC Tao. I really like the advice that JC gave us. If you want to become a pro, dedicate time to get the practice in and take note of your mistakes. And by making friends with people in the community, you'll gain access to better players that can help you improve. I also want to take a moment to congratulate JC and Jess. They're expecting a new baby soon, so congratulations to the both of you. If you run into JC at a tournament and he looks a little extra sleepy, now you'll know why. And if you're interested in hearing more about the highest levels of Magic competition, listen to my interview with 2016 World Champion Brian Brown Doohan, Season One, Episode 15. BBD shares with us how he got started and how he ascended to the highest levels of Magic competition. Listeners, I wanted to talk to you really quickly about the Kitchen Table Magic Patreon page. A year ago, I sold three Tarmogoyfs, a Karn Liberated, and an extra playset of Snapcaster Mages to fund basic audio equipment and server costs for Kitchen Table Magic. And after nine months, my funds have run dry. A lot goes into making Kitchen Table Magic, and I need your help. If you love the podcast and want me to keep going, you can show me that Kitchen Table Magic is worth it to you by heading over to Patreon.com/slash/KitchenTableMagic to become a supporter. Just a few bucks a month can keep Kitchen Table Magic going. A big high five to my Patreon supporters, Brian and Marcus. Thank you both so much for the help. Please share the show with your friends. It's on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and on MTGCast.com. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. I love all of your tweets that you、uh, have so generously categorized as hashtag Ocho Eat tweets, and I've been looking through them. They're very interesting. Ocho Eat tweets is actually an idea that、uh, Marshall Sutcliffe suggested to me. He said, "Man, you should probably、uh, create some sort of hashtag for them," and Ocho Eat tweets was born. 
I was looking through some of them, and I see a lot of bread and pastries. Is bread or pastries kind of like kind of what you lean towards when you look for that is delectable to take a photo of? Yeah, the bread and pastries are uh, are good. It's a nice nice medium. Uh, if I were to get breakfast, I would probably have some sort of. Uh, French pastry or uh, toast-related object. <laughs> toast-related object. Yeah, I do see a lot of beautiful toast. Yeah, it's a it's a nice little uh, canvas to work with. I'm talking to the classiest guy in the multiverse, David Ochoa. Last spring, David marked off his 100th Grand Prix appearance, and when he's not busy polishing his 268 lifetime pro points, he's enjoying delicious artisan toast or trying out a new pickling recipe. Join me and David as we talk about food, Team Channel Fireball, and more, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. 